Welcome to the Future Sickos Podcast with your hosts, Brennan Detzler and Derek Lee. What is up, Future Sickos listeners? Welcome to episode 21. We're officially legal in the States. I am joined today by Derek Lee, as always, and I am absolutely thrilled, Derek, to, to dig into everything this week. I know we finally had the opportunity to go to a live NHL game. We finally got to see these kids hit ice for the first time. We saw the magic that is Tim Stutzla. We also saw the influence that rest can cause on a game. And, and apparently, uh, thanks to Timmy Stutzel, um, as he draws penalties and apparently may look a little too convincing drawing penalties. So um, how are you doing today, Derek? Uh, how, how are you feeling after that, that rough uh, loss that we witnessed on Saturday? Yeah, man, it was, uh, it was a real heartbreaker like you, you just talked about. Um, but Timmy Stutzel, yeah, he can draw penalties because he has the puck the whole time. I mean, the guy is legitimately drawing penalties. These aren't, uh, you know, super soft penalties or anything like that. But, you know, there was some of that last season. It was uh, it was an exciting game. It's been an exciting start to the season, despite the Senators two and four records. So, um, yeah, I'm just I'm just feeling really, really good about this team moving forward lately um, and just optimistic. It's it's I mean, it's interesting because they are two and four to start the year. But, um, but it doesn't feel that way at all, does it? No, not at all. And honestly, like, I, I mean, Saturday, we really got, we got robbed of a win like that, that, that was our game. And that was, that was our, uh, we, we, we should have taken that W home. And I mean, um, we can blame it on whatever. And we, like, we did kind of fall apart and stop playing a little bit at, at the end of the third period there. And unfortunately, I don't know that the goalie change helped with the situation either. So it, it's kind of a weird one. Cause we look at it as two and four, but you look at this team and it doesn't look like a two and four team. We don't look like a bottom feeder. We don't, it doesn't even look like the beginning of last season where we were literally like getting ran out of the rink sometimes like 10 minutes into the game like they've been competitive they looked good I mean we saw that even against Washington when they were down 4-1 and showed their resiliency and Drake Batherson showed off just what kind of rocket of a shot he has wherever for wherever from and his patience to go along with it so I, I think that they're, we're showing that, that this team is competitive and even though they are two and four, I mean, some of those games they've at least been in. So it is difficult, but it, it's really incredible to see the strides that some of these players have made. And I, I know like you brought up Timmy and it's so true. Like, I think like finally getting a chance to see him live and see the senators live. I've really realized just the magic that he has and just, just the amount of talent he has and the way that like, whenever he's, he's stick handling, like he he's looking like Patrick Kane, the way that he, kind of cradles the puck and just just what he's able to do and how much speed he has and how explosive he is and how defenders literally have to break the rules of the game to be able to defend this guy be because he's so talented and then you see Thomas Shabbat and now that he's playing with Zub it seems like he's really feeling like another layer of his game that he may not have had last year because he kind of didn't have that that freedom to to rush up and be covered up because Zub is literally coming out of anywhere to to save them. So it, it's incredible to see these young players just continue and continue to get better because we've already known how good they are, and now it just seems like they just keep finding new levels to push things to, and it's it's so exciting to to watch them develop. But on that note, Derek, I'm curious of of your thoughts of the the Zub effect on on Thomas Shabbat because I I feel like 
it, it's just it's created just all sorts of magic on that blue line and i mean i i know that uh it's, it's our two best defensemen hands down playing playing on the same pairing together but god they're fun to watch sometimes are they not Oh, absolutely, Brennan. And I mean, the Zub effect affects us all, doesn't it? I mean, everyone is an Artem Zub lover. Um, he's just, he's a great player. I mean, such an underrated player everywhere on the ice. I mean, even when we were at the game, um, you get an idea for just how well that he reads the game. I mean, um, he has an impact everywhere on the ice, um, in the D zone, in the neutral zone, especially in the way that he reads plays and can take plays away. Um, and in the offensive zone as well, I, I like his poise on the blue line. I like um, that Thomas Shabbat knows he can use him as a partner. One of the, uh, one of the interesting kind of storylines right now is, is the fact that outside of Shabbat and Zub, what do the Senators really have on the blue line? And can they trust their other D pairings? And it's a, it's a real interesting storyline right now. And I, I just seen that Ian Mendez kind of got into that a little bit on TSN 1200. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on the Artem Zub Thomas Shabbat pairing, because in my mind, Brennan, you have to do whatever you have to do to keep these guys together. It's the best D pairing I've seen in a long, long time here in Ottawa, probably dating back since Mathot and Carlson. So uh, I'm curious to see what your thoughts are. Can you spread the wealth out and separate the the D pairing, or do you want to keep them together? And and what's the creative solution? Because I don't know that there is one. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely understand the appeal of potentially spreading them out and, and having Zub split up. And I know that that's obviously something that happened last year. And you you look at how good Brandstrom looked when he was playing with Zub, and that was a really dynamic pairing. And Zub just has that ability to make his partner that much better, especially if, if they're an offensively creative uh, puck moving defenseman because they kind of have that freedom to be able to do their thing and, and Zub's gonna have their back like that man knows how to read plays and come out anywhere to cover for them but in my honest opinion I do not think that the Zub and Shabbat pairing should be split up at all and it, it's for the simple reason that Shabbat deserves to have a partner that can play at his level and it really does excel Shabbat's game that much more I think there were a lot of times last year where we looked at Shabbat and we knew just how good he was and obviously like how he was being an absolute horse and playing ridiculous minutes. And I mean, this year he's playing some shifts that are four minutes again, but you, you look at this guy and, and he needs someone that on a night in and night basis is going to learn his cues, learn how he plays and be able to play with him. And, you know, the one trade that has always kind of sat weirdly with me, even, even like the Mark stone trade, I, I did have, a bit of reservations about it, but the, the one that was even more odd to me was the Dylan DeMello trade. And that was for the simple fact that I felt that Dylan DeMello made Thomas Shabbat a better player because I felt that when they played together, Thomas Shabbat was able to be Thomas Shabbat. He didn't have to worry about doing everything. He could kind of go out, take his chances and Mello was going to be there and cover for him. However, with that being said, Zub is better than Dylan DeMello. So the fact that they finally have someone that can go in and allow Shabbat to be able to be Thomas Shabbat and, and do all of those things in a way that's even better like than, than Dylan DeMello. And now we're seeing Zub even chip in and, and kind of come in and, and show it maybe some things that he might be able to do offensively, including being on a power play unit, which is pretty awesome. Um, but, but I think that the pairing makes complete sense. And 
while there's other holes in the lineup on D, I don't think that you should sacrifice what you have on that top pairing to try to fill those holes. And I mean, the only hole it seems is, is or the only hole that isn't there, it seems is Nick Holden and he's holding that line. And honestly, like, I think they do need to get creative. I know Brandstrom has, is not off to a hot start in Belleville. So it's really tough to kind of argue for him to get a promotion to play with Holden, but they, they really got to figure something out because I, I think that their depth is, is what's costing them majorly right now. Yeah, man, I, I hate to agree with you, but I agree with everything that you said there. I think um, Nick Holden is the only other defenseman right now on the senator's decor that looks to be capable um, and you know, if they were to call anybody up right now, it might be Lassie Thompson. He, he seems like he's had the best start, but no one's really had a great start in Belleville, especially not Brandstrom. Although there's the argument that, you know, Eric Brandstrom, he's played NHL games. And to me, he looked like a competent defender at times. I mean, um, there, there are, you know, lapses in the defensive zone, but right now, I mean, it can't be worse than what Josh Brown did or Nikita Zaitsev or even Victor Mete at times. So I think the solution can be found internally, like you mentioned, and I think they have to at least try that first to see if they can keep these two together because Thomas Shabbat looks elite right now. He looks like an elite defenseman. He looks like one of the best defensemen in the entire league. And the only reason he looks that well is because he has a competent partner finally in Artem Zook. 100%. And I mean, like, we, we've always loved Thomas Shabbat. We've always seen what he's able to do. And we've known that the skill is there. We know that that wow factor is there. We know like the ability to potentially be a Norris winner is there. And, and now it, that fact that he has a partner that's able to cover up his lapses and, and he looks more sound defensively and he's able to build that chemistry with, I mean, I, I just, I don't think that we can really sacrifice, um, sacrifice that. And, you know, what, one thing that you did talk about, and I know that we're going to talk about it a lot more later on, is, is the Eric Brandstrom situation. It just seems to kind of be getting a little more interesting every single day. And today was a day that it got a lot more interesting because Eric Brandstrom has switched agents. Uh, his new agent has come out with a very bomb intro video with a Tiesto song plan showcasing just what Eric Brandstrom is. I don't know. I think that's, that's business, baby. I, I don't know if that was part of the, the selling feature for this agent. He's like, you know, we're going to, we're going to pump you up, throw in a highlight package. I, I love, uh, I love the marketing of his player. I was pretty fired up, but you know, like the, the switching of an agent definitely indicates that Eric Brandstrom is not happy with his current agency representing them or, or he's looking for a change. And, I mean, I think the only two changes that we could really argue or look at regarding Eric Brandstrom is, is whether he's going to be in the NHL on the Ottawa Senators or if he's going to be asking to go to another team to play in the NHL for them. So it, it's kind of seeming like, yeah, even though he hasn't performed at that AHL level to start the year, he's really advocating for himself to say enough's enough. I, I'm ready to come into the NHL. And and what do you make of all of that, Derek? Do you, do you think that it, it's a sign that he's, he's going to be out the door or do you think that it's a sign that they, they're going to start playing this guy and maybe listen to him and, and give him another shot in the NHL. Yeah. I just wanted to like, first off, just shout out Jamie for sending us that question. It, it was kind of a topic that we are going to discuss today anyhow. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you go back to the Logan Brown thing and I know a lot of people make these, these parallels between Brandstrom and Logan Brown, because it just seems like, He's constantly bouncing back and forth between the NHL and the AHL. And a lot of people are like, 
he's a top four defenseman. He's the solution. He's the answer. And a lot of people are like, no, he's not. He's not good defensively. And I think what we know about this team is that they're a pretty good judge of talent. So I think we do have to trust whatever their judge is right now. And if they feel that Eric Brandstrom isn't ready, then he's probably not ready to be an everyday NHLer. And when they feel that he is, maybe he will be. But at the same time, um, you know, the, the news out is that the Senators are getting calls in regard to Eric Brandstrom. Now, it appears that the Senators aren't really shopping Eric Brandstrom at this time. Although, um, obviously, with him being demoted to the American Hockey League and other teams just seeing where his ceiling was, even at a time last year, um, they're going to be fielding calls. And, and that's a given. So he's a player that I think won't necessarily give you a great return if you're to trade him today. Um, but if you wait till the offseason, you could possibly get a better return for him if at some point this season he's able to come in and show that he's an NHL defenseman. And, and if he does that, I don't know if the senators are going to be interested in trading him anymore. So it, it's an interesting situation, but uh, Brandstrom to me, Brandstrom could be the solution. Like you said, he did play well with Artem Zub as much as I don't want to see Shabbat and Zub split up. Maybe that's the only choice they're going to have. Um, I, I certainly don't think they're open to exploring the trade market when it comes to another defenseman because they already have too many bodies um, as it is. So it, it's almost going to take an injury in my mind for Brandstrom to get a call back just because they have too many guys. So uh, we'll see how this situation plays out. Him getting a new agent, I mean, to me, it's, it's probably a sign that he's not happy with the way he was represented because that's why you go out and, and get a new agent. Um, and maybe they use Tyler, our producer, for the little hype video. I don't know if Tyler's doing some business on the side, but it was a pretty cool um, way to introduce him, I guess, uh, for Newport, for the new agency. But uh, ultimately, I don't know that Brandstrom has enough leverage to even get a trade at this particular point in time. Um, but maybe further on down the season, like I said, if he comes in and gets some time at the NHL level, We'll see what this guy can do because I'm still a believer in Eric Brandstrom. I know um, it, it's not for me. It's not the same with Logan Brown. I felt, um, you know, I, I felt that he kind of die off on Logan Brown a long time ago. I kind of knew that he wasn't going to be an NHL player. And I don't feel that with Brandstrom. I still feel, especially because he's, a, he's a defenseman. I mean, they take a lot longer to develop and you have to realize kind of where he is on his development curve. I think, just give the guy some time, let him marinate. And even if he's not here long-term and he, he doesn't really fit the philosophy of the Ottawa Senators and of what they're trying to do, you could still at least flip him for an asset down the road when he's established himself. Hey, maybe you just saw Brady Kachuk's payday from Newport. He's like, I want to get me one of those those big checks where I have to go to a big bank to be able to cash like in Trump. And uh, <laughs> when, when uh, Jackie Moons gets tropical, but no, I, I completely, I completely agree. Like it, the situation is not Logan Brown 2.0. And I, I think that that's something that we definitely need to stress is that Eric Brandstrom is, has shown a lot more promise than Logan Brown did. And he show has shown like a willingness to work on his game and, and really try to improve. And I think that he really impressed a lot of people at the end of last season, at least fans. And maybe he didn't come in and impress quite as much when, when he came in to start the season in, in terms of coaching. But I, I think that, like you said, like he's a defenseman, he's an undersized defenseman. 
Um, so for them to shop him right now, when it is looking like he has challenges to make a pretty weak decor after kind of their top two, it, that's not an optimal situation. I mean, to me, it, it, it kind of reminds me of the Jonathan Duran situation when, when Duran was in Tampa Bay, like that, that's kind of what I'm getting a lot of flashbacks of. And I I'm thinking about how like Duran was there and he got, kept getting sent down to the minors because he just couldn't really find like consistency in Tampa. And then. He requested a trade, didn't want to show up, and Tampa kind of just sat on it and said, no, like, we're not going to trade you because we're not going to get what you're worth. You're a good player. We know you're a good player. You're not a good player yet, but we know, like, or a good NHLer yet, but we know you're going to be a good NHLer. And they decided to be patient and and hold out, and he ended up caving, and and they ended up flipping for Sergachev, which, uh, in my opinion, was a pretty decent return. So I think that with the Eric Bransford situation, it needs to be dealt patiently. I, I don't think that they should get rid of him just because they need to move on. With Logan Brown, like both parties just wanted to move on. Like the, the Senators were done with Logan Brown. Logan Brown was done with the Senators. Like it, it was time to kind of find a fresh face, give him a fresh start and and, and just start on a fresh slate. But with Eric Brandstrom, I, I really do not think that's the case. I mean, he might not be in the Ottawa Senators' plans moving forward, but they still know what they have in him. They still know that they have a very capable puck-moving kid who has elite hockey IQ and the ability to make plays that not many NHL defensemen have. Like, the, the way that he's able to think the game, the way he's able to deke players out, like the hands on that kid, it's just there's not a lot of players like him. So I, I think he he's one of the ones that you definitely let marinate for a little bit. And if there's an uprising and um, some, some bad feelings about him being in the minors, it's kind of one of those situations where, yeah, like maybe give him a chance in the NHL, but if it's not working out, you don't, don't move them just because you're having pressure to move them. Um, they're they're going to have to just kind of wait until they get an adequate offer for them. And maybe something that's going to fit the team, the team a little bit better, because I know like you, you look at that decor and I know that you and I have had some conversations about this and kind of something that I just want to talk about a bit is, is moving forward. We know, okay, it's probably going to be Thomas Shabbat and Zub. Ho hopefully they're able to extend Zub. He's going to be there longer than, even next year. And then you're, you're going to have Jake Sanderson. We know Sanderson's fitting into the picture. You got to figure JBD's fitting into the picture as well. So let's say maybe that's the the top four and Nick Holden's great, but he's 35 years old. I don't know that he's going to be there in the long-term picture. And otherwise you're going to be having maybe more prospects come in. Maybe, maybe you're looking at Tyler Clevin. Maybe you're looking at Lassie Thompson. Well, all of a sudden you're running a decor with an average age of like 24, 25 years old. And you have to wonder like if, if that really makes sense, there's not a lot of teams that do that and barely any teams that do that effectively. You, you kind of need to have the veteran presence and I, by veteran presence, I don't think I mean Nikita Zaitsev. So I'm curious, Derek, looking at it long-term, like what do you think the fix is for this team? Do you think that they need to go out and acquire someone that they're going to be able to lock up, maybe pay a decent amount of money and, and it's going to be like a legitimate top four defender? Well, I mean, maybe. I mean, I, I don't know that there's necessarily going to be a major need. It, it's probably going to be more of a complementary need. And, you know, someone like Holden, who's come in this year and looked really, really well. I mean, can you just extend him for another year or two? And um, he's 35, like you mentioned, but he still looks like a really competent defenseman. I think uh, Pierre Dorian really made out well in that Dadunov trade getting Holden. So, I don't think you necessarily have to go out and get a, a superstar defenseman 
in unrestricted unrestricted free agency, someone like a Morgan Riley or, or whoever that you're going to have to way overpay and give them, you know, way too much term because that's ultimately what ends up happening. And what we know with Pierre Dorian and the way that he operates this team, he doesn't go out and sort of overpay these older type veteran players. So if it's someone that's going to come in, it will be someone like a Holden, maybe that just gets extended for a shorter period of time to let these younger, you know, the younger Clevens and JBDs and Thompsons kind of develop and marinate where they need to be for another season. But you're going to have Jake Sanderson. I mean, that's going to change, like you mentioned, that's going to change the whole complexion of the D because now you don't have to wear um, Shabbat down to the very last uh, breath that he has playing 27, whatever minutes a night. Um, you could disperse some of those minutes. And I know Sanderson's obviously he's super young, but he's going to come in and he looks supreme and he's probably going to look really, really good, really, really quickly. I don't think that's the type of kid that's going to take too long to develop. And I know D prospects, they take longer to develop, but Sanderson's he's in different company. We're talking about a different player here. Uh, a guy that's really well, going to change things. You look at you look at what Maurice Sider is doing in Detroit this year, and and honestly, like I mm-hmm. I I think that that is a great comparable. Obviously, Sider is a too. bit older, a bit uh, larger, but you, you look at how he has really changed that team. He stepped in, he's made an immediate impact. He's already their number one defenseman, and, and he's what six six games into his NHL career, and and I honestly I I think Jake Sanderson is like. Now it's hilarious, like watching his development. And, and like, it, the reason why I say that is because it's so rare that you see an 18 year old that is elite at defending. And Jake Sanderson was elite at defending. He was so good at cutting off those angles. He was so good at, at skating, being able to shut guys down. Like that was what scouts were saying is like, you can't get past this guy. There's nothing you can do. Like he, he's great with his stick. He's great with his body. And he's one of the best skaters on the t- ice. Anytime he steps onto it. So it, it's awesome because we've already seen that. And then last year we kind of watched his transitional play really evolve. We, we saw what he was able to do with breakouts, the way that he was able to skate up the puck, the way that like his first passes really evolved and, and his creativity with passing. And we kind of noticed that and we were like, okay, like it's great that he's starting to get more confidence. And now this year, we're watching him turn into an offensive dynamo in North Dakota as, as being that number one defenseman and honestly, probably the number one player there. And all of a sudden he's coming in and taking way more calculated risks. I'll say, because he's taking risks, but he's, he's, they make sense to take. And he's showing off that his IQ is through the roof and, and his skills are there as well. He's got a heavy shot. He's got the ability to, to score some goals and create plays. I mean, producing at more than a point per game clip for North Dakota is, is pretty great for any player, let alone a defenseman. So I, I completely agree. I mean, once he comes in, it, it's really going to shift the landscape of this team. And all of a sudden we're, we're going to have a serviceable top four defenseman. And I, it's, it's going to be incredible to get to see basically either him or Thomas Shabbat on the ice for probably 50 minutes of a game. And, and Brennan, speaking of shifting the landscape, uh, Pierre Dorian shook things up just a little bit um, by adding some depth uh, to the forward group in Dylan Gambrell, uh, acquired for a seventh, a seventh round pick from San Jose. Uh, of course, that was part of the Christian Yaros trade. Uh, what do you make of Gambrell? Do you think he's going to be here long term? Do you think he's just a kind of a short term filler until someone like Pinto is back in the lineup? Well, first of all, I think that this was a move that needed to happen. Like, like they, they had to go through and do this. I mean, Logan Shaw has been showing up 
but but he definitely hasn't been making much of an impact. And to be able to have a player who's at least proven that he's capable of playing in the NHL, uh, I, I think that th- this is an upgrade over Shaw. And I'm excited to just kind of see him in that depleted fourth line role, maybe make it a little less depleted. I know it's still looking really rough when we when we look at it, but at least it's something. But, you know, Gambrell's a guy who's produced at every level he's been in. He He's produced... Very quite well when he was at the University of Denver, and, and he was apparently someone that the Senators had a really close eye on when he was playing in the college system. And then you look at when he was in the AHL and he was producing at nearly a point per game, and I, I mean, like that's that's pretty impressive. Like that's that's uh, really that kind of trajectory you want to look at when you're following along a prospect. You want to make sure that he's continuing to be able to do that. But at, at the end of the day, the biggest thing that is great about him is his two way ability and. And that's kind of something that was really focused on is his ability to be able to shut down. So I think that they're going to get a guy where there's a bit of offensive potential and maybe he does kind of turn into someone who's, who's able to find the score sheet here and there, but he's a guy that's going to be reliable defensively. And I, I think that for where they're at, that that's a great option for them. I really like this move. I, I also like that they just gave San Jose their seventh pick back uh, for that. They originally acquired for Christian Yarrow. So um, happy to see that that was kind of the way it flipped super low risk um probably low reward as well play but 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 i like this move and you know like i i think that he has a legitimate chance if if he can show that he fits into the core here or he like fits into a third or fourth line role like there's a spot for him like especially this year and and maybe next year maybe not down the road but at least right now i i can't see why there wouldn't be what are your thoughts derek well my thoughts are pretty simple and that's um I really don't want to see Scott Sabrin in the NHL lineup any longer. Um, the underlying numbers really haven't treated him too well. And thankfully, Austin Watson's coming back. So um, he's going to be back to sort of supplement that. And, and as you said, I mean, Logan Shaw, he didn't do a bad job where he was, but there wasn't really much expected of him, at least with Gambrell. Like you mentioned, he's um, an NHL kind of regular um, for, for the most part. Anyway, he's a defensive minded forward which i think they can use they could use to utilize him to to shut down some of the other teams um big players and i think he can be utilized on the penalty kill as well so um i think he could fit in i don't see him here very long term i mean if if colin white comes back down the road and i know that's way down the road um i i don't see him here very very much longer but um, but it's nice to have that depth that isn't necessarily dipping into the Logan Shaw's, the Scott Sabrin's, like really American Hockey League players, if that makes sense. No, yeah, he he kind of is in that tier up. I don't know how big of a jump that tier is, but but at least it's it's something from a tier. So, the Future Sickos podcast is presented by DraftKings. Well, I might be a huge Ottawa Senators fan. Whenever the Buffalo Bills are playing, I have to be watching the game. I also have to be betting on the game using DraftKings. New customers can now bet just $5 on any one NFL team to win their game, and if they do, will win $200 in free bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code THPN, bet $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official betting partner of the NFL. 
Now, with that being said, um, I, I think it's time that we should move into our next segment, which is we'll get into some fan questions. Absolutely. Let's uh, let's kick things off with uh, Ty- how about Tyler's question? Let's start there. Um, our producer, Tyler, uh, I don't even know if it's a question, but uh, <laughs> he made a comment. Both of you have to pick the final score of Friday's game. The loser wears a Leaf jersey to the next game that we're going to, which is Ottawa versus Calgary. Um, Brennan, I, I don't know if I'm ready to commit to this, but uh, how about we predict the score for fun? Any like I don't know where we're getting a Leaf jersey. First off, none of us have one. I got a closet um, full of them just to, to for some <laughs> fuel. If I ever need to start a fire, I just I keep it handy. There you go. But uh, but I did make a counterpoint that if uh, if we're right, if one of us are right on the score prediction. Tyler has to come with us to the game by that third seat that's beside us. And he has to wear a damn leaf Jersey. No, I I'm completely with you. I, I don't know who hurt him for him to come at us with this question. And, and this, this proposal, like I, the, the one chance we're going to have to be within touching distance of, of our Ottawa senators. And he wants us to be throwing on the ugliest uh, piece of clothing one can find or, or possibly commit to. So um, I don't know, like I, I appreciate what, uh, what he does for the show, but I don't know if I appreciate, if I appreciate this one with that being said, I'm, I'm confident. Uh, I'm confident with my guessing and I absolutely hate that. I, I feel like Calgary may win this game. Calgary is rolling right now. They are hot, hot as a flame. But with that being said, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give, uh, give Calgary the win. I'll say that it's close. I'm going to say it's four, three, just because I got to support my, my Ottawa Senators. So I'll go four, three cents, um, possibly in overtime, but, but it doesn't have to be. What about yourself? I, I think he wanted us to predict Friday's game against the stars, but if we're going to predict, if we're going to predict the Calgary game that we're going to, we have to predict them taking home the victory. And I, I do, I will say that it's a back-to-back game on a Sunday at 5 PM. Um, and Ottawa is playing the back-to-back, not Calgary. So if, if we're going to predict that game, you're, you're probably pretty close with your prediction, but I'm going to take a, a senator's victory of five to three. Um, but for the Dallas game on Friday, I'm taking three, one cents. Yeah, no, I, I, I really, I like that for the Dallas game. I mean, I'm going to go, I'm going to go four two just to change it up for the Sens as well. Dallas hasn't looked great. I don't really trust their goaltending situation. I like their D, but they're, they're doing some odd things with their lines. They've got Sagan and Ben split up right now. I, I think that their scoring has kind of dried up a bit. So I'm going to go four two Sens and uh, yeah, just because I, I would say three one, but I don't want to copy you. And um, I like that we're both picking uh, Ottawa to win that game against Calgary because I, I think we both have a hunch that they might have a new captain that night and maybe uh, maybe that'll be some some fire lit under Ottawa instead of fires being lit under this the sun or being lit under the flames. So moving on to the next question, this is something that that you and I saw firsthand. We we had a lot of frustration over it on Saturday, and you know we had we had a big conversation. <laughs> following the game as well, where I kind of tried to play devil's advocate a bit, even though if I didn't, if I don't know, I completely agreed with everything that I was saying. So Kurt Watkins comes in with, do you think Stutzel is starting to get a reputation as a diver from the refs in the NHL? And I'm going to go ahead and say that I do think he's starting to get a reputation as, as a diver from the refs in the NHL. And 
the reason for that is I, I know when you look at when he was in the world juniors, when, when he was coming up, he was being drafted. Um, there, there was a few times where it did look like there was some embellishment happening. And even in his first season, there was a few calls where I was like, that, that looks like a little bit of embellishment. You're, you're really trying to, to sell this. And then you look at what he's doing and I I'm hoping Tyler here will be able to roll this clip of when he just absolutely skates into Washington's player and draws a penalty by doing like a soccer or, or a, a basketball move of basically making that interference happen because he's going in and, and uh, kind of forcing that penalty and falling over because, because the player's not moving and, and not giving him his space. And I, I just, I want to say like, do I think he's getting a reputation? Yes. But I feel like he's doing it in a way that, almost makes sense and it helps the team and i don't know that he's necessarily doing it to be cheap but he's just kind of implementing things that we see in other sports and he's kind of trying to use it to his advantage so well well the reputation might be there and i i think that might be something that the refs are definitely looking for because they're like he's he's getting what four penalties called like in his favor a game like that's how many penalties he's drawing that's something they're gonna have to look at and I mean, if he's making plays like that, where, where he's kind of bringing in techniques that are in other sports to, to get calls, I don't know if that's something I could even really be upset about. What do you, what do you think, Derek? Hey, that's hockey IQ at its finest, right? I mean, that's one of the things we credit Tim Stutzel for is just how smart of a player he is, but um, is he going to have to use that IQ and change moving forward? Probably because people are, are honing in on that and, and the senators are having to pay for it like we've seen in the Rangers game. And by the way, going back to that Rangers game, we were at that game. Tim Stutzla drew every single penalty that was called that game. I didn't think he embellished anything. There was one play earlier in the game where it looked like it was, you know, maybe he went down a little easy. And well, I think I made a comment where, where it was kind of like a bit like, like, I mean, was he interfered with? Yeah, but, but there might've been a bit of selling going on. Like, I mean, I think the and, rep was already buying it, but he was just walking into the cash register. Well, and that could have been a penalty shot. Like there was a few calls that, I mean, I thought he drew a couple more penalties as well. He was just, because he's all over the puck. I mean, Stutzla has the puck on his stick like 90% of the game. He's always, always attacking and he always has the puck on his stick and he's fast and elusive and he draws penalties. He's going to draw a ton of penalties because of how skilled he is, not because his second favorite sport is soccer, although it is. Um, You know, I, I think he's a great player. I do think, He's going to have to learn from the senators having to pay for some of his earlier mistakes. And I think a lot of it went back to last season. I think last season he was going down much easier than I noticed this season and maybe embellishing calls a little bit. And when you start to get that um, reputation and when you start to sort of leave that first impression, people remember it and the referees remember it. And unfortunately, I'm sure the the New York Rangers were letting the refs hear it all game long. 18's going down early is what I'm sure the bench was saying. Or sorry, going down easy. So I I do think um, for Stutzla, it's something he's going to have to undo. Um, And sometimes to undo those things, once you've built a reputation, it takes some time. But look, this guy's going to be an elite player. He's going to draw an absolute ton of penalties. He's probably going to lead the league for years to come in that regard because he always has the puck and because he's, he's so smart. Um, and that's why he's going to draw the penalties. So I, I think it's kind of a, a cheap shot. I mean, 
the the penalty that he took against the Rangers, it was not his doing. He didn't go down early. The stick was left in between his legs. It was a can, can opener play. Um, I know we were fuming that, but you know, um, unfortunately it happened. We'll move on to the next question. It's an unfortunate situation, but we'll move on to the next question. Unless you have another, do you have another point here, Brennan? Well, one, one thing I, I do, I do just want to say kind of b- before is that like, I, I genuinely think like the, the one thing I will say is that if he is getting this reputation and in my opinion, it, it's got to at least be getting spoken about or something that's being noticed a little bit more. I, I really hope that refs are still fair with Tim Stutzel. And the reason why I say that is because he draws penalties. There's a lot of times because he's so skilled and he's so elusive and he's so quick and he has that ability to kind of turn on a dime and be able to shift up his speed so quickly that he, defenders take penalties on him. And sometimes they might not even mean to, but it's the only way that they're able to, to kind of be able to defend him. And I know watching Connor McDavid, that's one thing that can be super frustrating. I think for Oilers fans, I don't know if, if he's playing auto, I don't know if I feel the same way, but you watch him and there's so many calls that should be called or so many things that should be calls that are not calls that happen for, because when, while people are defending Connor McDavid, it's because they're defending Connor McDavid. And I, I don't think that that's fair. I don't think that just because you're defending the star player, you, you should be able to take penalties or that like when these penalties happen, they're looked the other way. And I don't think that that should be fair just because someone might have historically um, done, done a, a bit of embellishment. So um, I, I do want to say that, although I, I can understand the reputation and I think it's probably likely that he is getting a bit of one. Um, I, I really don't think that that should influence the number of calls that that happen um, kind of in his favor because he's, he's, I mean, he's earning these calls that are, are going the other way. And, um, and yeah. Absolutely. And uh, Pat writes in, who do you predict will have more impact? And this one's sure to get a debate, Brennan, because this is something that we talk about often. And I think we, ha- we talked about this after the game as well uh, a little bit, but um, who do you think will have more of an impact on the NHL roster over the next three seasons? Tyler Clevin your favorite or Jacob Bernard Docker. Go ahead. Tell us why Tyler Clevin is the next Kale McCarr. So I'm going to go right at and say that Jacob Bernard Docker will have a larger impact on this team in the next three seasons. But I will also say that I'm higher on Tyler Clevin than you. I I still think that Tyler Clevin is going to be a serviceable NHL defenseman. I was saying that I think he's going to have a better career than Josh Brown. I don't know why, why you felt like arguing with me on Saturday night, just to kind of give people a bit of context, because I don't know why Josh Brown is such a high fucking standard to be held to. But I think that I think, I think Tyler Clevin is definitely going to be able to, to show that off. I think he's got some hands on him. I know when I was watching like during his draft year and after he got drafted, that was one thing that kind of kept coming back is this kid has a bomb of a shot. He's got some offensive ability. He just never really is in the, the situation to be able to use it. And I think he's a good skater, but he also, he lays the boom and, and he's pretty good at defending. He's already gotten one nod to the world juniors, likely going to be back there again. We're going to get another good chance to look at him, but with that being said, JBD is close. Like, I, I think that he could get some time in the NHL this year. And I mean, next year, I think he's going to be a full-time NHL defenseman. And he's a guy that plays 
a really sound game. And he also probably has more upside than Tyler Clevin. So I, I think for all those reasons, JBD is my answer, but I think both these guys will be NHL defensemen. I don't know that Clevin will be next year. I mean, maybe he might get some time the year after next season, but down the road for sure. I, I, I see these guys in the core, but JB, JBD is my choice. What about you, Derek? Yeah. Now I'm like second guessing why it even got heated on Saturday. Cause I just like, I agree with everything you just said there. I think, you hit on all the points I was going to make. JBD, he's a year ahead of Clevin. He's going to get into the NHL um, most likely n- next season, maybe even at the end of this season if there's enough, you know, if there's injuries or movement um, at the deadline or what have you. But uh, Tyler Clevin, I-, I don't hate Tyler Clevin. I mean, <laughs> it's something that you make me feel like I hate Tyler Clevin. I don't hate Tyler Clevin. I said that Josh Brown is. Uh, a player that has played, you know, X amount of NHL games. He's been in the NHL for a long time. I think Tyler Clevin will be similar. He'll be a, probably a, a six, seven defenseman. Um, he'll get probably quite a few NHL games. He fits the philosophy of this team. He's a physical player. He does have better hands than Josh Brown. I'll give you that. He has some pretty good hands, but I ultimately, you know, do I, do I think he's more of an impact player than someone like Josh Brown? Probably not because I don't think, um, that he has the hockey IQ that we were just talking about with, with players like Sanderson and Brandstrom. I don't think that he has that um, to really step into like a top four. And I could be wrong. I've been wrong on, on players before, but, um, but that's my take on Tyler Clevin. It doesn't mean I hate him. I think he can be, he can be a useful player on any team and, and probably a very useful player when it comes to, to the games that matter in the playoffs. I think he's, he's a super um, physical, he's a beast out there in college. I mean, and, and some of that will translate to the NHL. So, um, Tyler Clevin, he's a good player. Jacob Bernard Docker, he's a better player. I, I kind of describe him like Dylan DeMello. I've used that comparable before, and he's a player that we also touched on earlier. And, and I think with Jacob Bernard Docker, he's a complimentary player. He's, he's not going to be, you know, the highlight on, your top four, but is he a player that can play in your top four? Absolutely. He can, because he's a smart player and he complements whoever the highlighted player is going to be in, in the unit. So I, I could see him playing with Thomas Shabbat down the road and I could see him playing with Jake Sanderson down the road. And that's why I feel like JBD will, will probably make more of an impact. Let me ask you this Lassie Thompson or JBD, who's going to make a bigger impact in the next three seasons. Yeah, I'm still going to go with JBD. I I'm, I'm not quite there yet on Thompson. I like him. I, I like where he's come. I think he's come a long way since the the world junior. Um, you know, he, he kind of hit a low point there in Europe. And then he came over to the American Hockey League and, and started looking like the Lassie Thompson that I thought we seen previously in Ottawa. So um, I like Lassie Thompson, but I'm just not really sure on him yet. I, I'm not quite sold. There's still some quirks in his defensive game that he'll have to work on. But he still does have a high ceiling because he has that higher um, upside, that higher hockey IQ, and he can make some plays offensively. That's for damn sure. He's also pretty good at moving the puck and he can move his feet as well. So uh, I don't want to count Lassie Thompson out, but at the same time, I'm not ready to say that he's higher up on my personal list than JBD. How about you? No, I, I still have JBD higher as well. And honestly, I think like as recent as last year, I almost had Lassie Thompson kind of just ruled out as, as even being an NHL player. I, I really started to doubt him. And then seeing him this year, I don't know how I ever did. Like he, he kind of, 
he's found his game again. He, he's found his ability to skate. Uh, he has his bomb of a shot, obviously, like just, just an absolute cannon. He could honestly get some legitimate time on a power play in the future. And I, I think that he's, he's a really legitimate option and I'm definitely happy to see that he's been playing better. I think kind of, you touched on it earlier. I think if Ottawa was to call anyone up right now, he would be the guy who's most deserving of it. I know Belleville is just off to a piss poor start in general to start the season, but I think he would be the guy and yeah, but, but honestly, I I'm, I'm big on JBD. And again, he's, he's another player that's a year older than Thompson. Um, but, but I think that JBD just kind of does everything well. I don't, I don't know that he's ever going to have like an exceptionally high ceiling, but he's just, he's going to be a really safe and legitimate defenseman. I see him playing in the NHL for a really long time and, and playing quality good minutes. And I'm really hoping that's, that's being partnered up with Sanderson. I, 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 that's, that's kind of my hope. I know that you voiced that as well, but, you know, talking about these prospects, let's get into this question from, from Reese Cybulski a bit. So he asked, what do you think the ceiling is for our top three prospects? So um, he listed Sanderson and Greg, and I, I'm going to agree. I think that those two are are two of the three for me. And then I'm going to go ahead and say that my my third top three prospect uh, is Tyler Boucher. And I, I'm going to go ahead just because he, he really has grown on me since, since the draft and kind of being able to see a bit of his game. So I'll, I'll start off. Who are your three, Derek? And what do you think their ceilings are going to be? Man, here I was ready for like this great debate for this episode. And like, we pretty much just agree on everything because I was going to go Boucher as well for my third. Um, I do think he, he's a 10th overall pick. Obviously, I trust in the Senators drafting and what they've done because the proof is in the pudding. Like we can see it on the team right now with guys like Pinto and Formanton and Batherson. Like you could literally just go down the list and say like, oh, this guy was drafted here and here and Nobody else seemed to think that they were high-end players and, and look at them now. So I have to, you know, I, I personally, I don't see it in Boucher. I, I liked, you know, some other players in that spot, but um, but didn't like them enough to say like, you know, Boucher is 10 times worse than them because I, I just think it was a lower end draft class. But still, now that the system is getting thinner because most of the guys have already um, evolved to NHL players, I agree with the with the list that you provided. Sanderson, Greg, and Boucher. And, and also, I mean, ceiling on Sanderson is easy. It's elite. I mean, I think, I think he's going to be, he has potential to be one of the best defensemen in the NHL. He's probably one of the best players outside the NHL right now. Um, Ridley Gregg is interesting because um, some people have him as a bottom six forward. Some people have him as a top six forward. Um, where do you have Ridley Gregg, Brennan? So it's funny when I look at the Ottawa Senators, I, I have a hard time seeing Greg playing in the top six. And, and the reason for that is he's a left winger center and, and you look at who's there. And I, I mean, he's not going to beat out Brady and he's not going to beat out Stutzla. Um, definitely not going to beat out Norris. And I don't think he's going to beat out Pinto. So to me, that puts him in that kind of that third, um, third line center role. And, and I think that he would play a third line center role. I think he could be a left wing on a second or even a first line, depending on injuries or how things get shooken up. But I, 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 that's where I see him is, is third line center, but I think he has top six potential all day, man. Like I I've been so high on this guy since his draft year. He like, he was, he was so crazy because if you look at his production in the second half of the season, moving into the draft, he blew up. 
like he started producing at such a high clip and he was one of the youngest players that was drafted and we've just kind of seen his ceiling skyrocket I mean he's too good for the WHL he shouldn't even be there this season and he's just absolutely terrorizing it again and he's a guy that plays with grit and can also draw those penalties and I think he's going to probably have to learn kind of what that line is and, and how to navigate it through it but I think he's a really quality top six player i think that he can play on a power play it's really fitting that we got him for that in that jg pajot trade because he he reminds me in a lot of ways of pajot like just an absolute workhorse and someone that has that upside but also that defensive ability and that ability to get under opponent's skin so i see him as a competitor he's going to be incredible in the playoffs um and, and yeah i mean i think he has top six upside all day completely agree with what you said about sanderson um, elite upside. I think that he has the potential to be, be a top 10 defenseman in the NHL one day. Um, he could honestly be the best defenseman for the Ottawa Senators while Thomas Shabbat is still on the team. Like he, he has that kind of potential if everything goes right. And then getting into the third one and Tyler Boucher, he's a really interesting one because I, I don't know that he would be a guy that would completely drive play as a top six player but I still see him as a top six player. Like having that guy on a line, if you roll out Brady Kachuk on a first line, you roll out Tyler Boucher on a second line, that's going to be absolutely terrifying for years and years to come. And I mean, I think that he's a guy that can create a lot of space, but he has enough skill to be able to score. And he's really smart when he shoots the puck. If you look at the way that he shoots, there's a lot of times where he'll change up his shot kind of midway through and he fools goaltenders just based on that. So that gives me an idea that he has a pretty strong hockey, hockey IQ. I think he's a great skater. I, I'm actually really impressed with his skating and his size. And just like, I mean, we know that his effort is is extremely high. So he's going to fit in very well to the culture there. So uh, honestly, like I'm really high on all three of these guys. And, and what are your thoughts on Boucher? Yeah, I'll start by saying that I agree on Greg as well. I, I don't even think I have to get into it because my player comparable was Pajot as well. I feel like he basically is the second coming of JG Pajot with maybe even better hands. Um, and, and Boucher, I think, is a high-end third-line player um, who could probably play up in your lineup. Uh, and this is – it's hard to project. It's still really early. He's off to a really slow start as well uh, this season in Boston. But um, that's just from an offensive uh, production sort of standpoint. He's still very involved. He's involved physically. Um, he, he gets involved in, in all facets of the game. And I think he's, you know, similar to Brady Kachuk in ways. He's not going to have the same ceiling as Brady, but he's similar in ways that Brady Kachuk, you know, it, pr production is not going to be his primary asset. You're going to look down the road and you're going to look at the playoff years when the Senators get there. And then you're going to notice a guy like Brady Kachuk. And I think that's the same thing about Tyler Boucher. They, they drafted this kid because they probably feel that when they get to the competitive years, when they get to the playoffs, this is a kid who's going to provide a whole lot more than just production in the regular season. And uh, you can look at so many teams that produce in the regular season and then they get to the, the playoffs and do absolutely nothing. And that's because they don't have guys like Ridley Gregg, Brady Kachuk, Tyler Boucher, Tyler Clevin even. Um, so I, I really think Pierre Dorian is building this team with uh, a mind for the playoffs. And, and it's a team that's built with size, determination, grit. Um, and, and on that philosophy, I think Boucher fits in. That's why I have him as the third best pro uh, prospect. Awesome. Let's move into the last question here from Third Line Plogs. And they're wondering what our honest thoughts on wearing autographed jerseys to games are. And I'm just going to say it's an automatic foul. Um, I, I love my autographed Timmy Stutzel jersey, but it sits in the case for a reason. I, I 
it's probably my favorite possession. I wake up every morning with a smile when, when I look at it. So I, 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 um, I, I just, I, I will never get around for it, but you know what? That's someone else's valuable possession. And if that's what makes them happy, then, then so be it. What are your thoughts, Derek? Yeah. I, I'm, I mean, I'm a nice guy too. Whatever you want to wear that makes you happy, go ahead and wear it. Unless it's a leaf Jersey to like a Sens and, and Habs game or something stupid like that. Um, you know, there's worse Jersey fouls than an autographed Jersey. I'm not someone that really likes to wear jerseys in the first place, even if they're not autographed, if that, if that makes any sense, I kind of just wear, like, if I'm going to a game, I, I, I'll wear something subtle that represents the team, but I, I'm not really a Jersey guy, uh, to begin with, but autographed jerseys, uh, you would never, you wouldn't catch me dead wearing an autographed Jersey to a game. I feel like they belong right behind you where you have that uh, signed Timmy Stutzla jersey in the case. Uh, I feel like that's where your auto jersey belongs. You've probably paid a lot of money for it or you've gone to the lengths of getting the player to sign it for you. Um, so keep it on the wall. Keep it in that case where it looks crispy and nice and, and don't drop ketchup on it because you, you just decrease the value of that jersey. So um, as a collector myself, like, you know, that's something that I think of. Um, but you can wear whatever you want to the game. You can wear you know, I'm not going to judge you, but autographed jerseys, it's a foul for sure. Perfect. On that note, let's move into our next segment, which is the play of the week. All right. So welcome to the play of the week segment. So Derek, what, let, let's get, let's get into it first. What, what's your play of the week? Was it something that happened on Saturday when we were at the game or did, was it that crazy Washington game? What, what do you got for me? Easy choice, easy choice. Because Drake Batherson's second goal versus the Washington Capitals really highlighted just how good that contract's going to look and already looks for the Ottawa Senators. But the poise and the patience that Batherson demonstrated on that goal, like if this guy just shoots the puck more, he's a 35-plus goal scorer in the NHL every single year. And there's not a lot of players you could say that about. That goal, I mean it was just sick in, in every way. And I remember standing up and screaming when he scored that goal. Um, but unbelievable display of skill, patience. I said at the time, I said, Batherson's got more patience than a hospital. He does. I mean, <laughs> that was just, it was an unbelievable play. So uh, that's my play of the week. But I, I'd imagine you're going back to the Rangers game for your play of the week. Are you, Brent? So, so one thing I want to say, which was a close a close play of the week, it was actually Batherson's first goal I, I felt was extremely impressive in, in that game. And I think that it deserves more credit because the fact that he picked that puck up off the boards and basically just fired it instantly, and it was an absolute laser top right corner like like there's not many players in the NHL that can make a shot like that and score a goal like that like it, it just really showcased just how skilled of a shot he has but you know for my play of the week and I guess clearly there's been some great ones I'm gonna have to go back to Saturday against the Rangers and I'm gonna have to go to the refs call no I'm kidding I'm gonna have to go to <laughs> Timmy Stutzel's deke and feed to Nick Paul for the first goal of the game. Not even a minute into the game. We were just getting warm in our seats, Derek. We, we maybe were like halfway through our beer at that point, minute into the game. And the, the fact that he came in and just showcased his speed and his explosiveness. Blue pass Adam Fox, who, yeah, you know, he's got a Norse trophy recently hanging in his, in his uh, case there. 
and comes in and, and shows off his hands and his patience to be able to give Nick Paul his feed. And, you know, like it was kind of received in a bit of a tricky place, but Paul did a great job of just pushing it up and getting a shot off. And, and, and yeah, I mean, maybe it's uh it's a play of the week because I was there and it got me excited, but, but for me, that's the easy choice. Yeah. And I love the, you know, you highlighted Stutzla on that, on that particular play, but Nick Paul, I mean, just as, um, creditable i mean he he's produced 22 shots he leads the entire team in shots on goal to start the season so um nick paul i mean you've got to give it up for the guy he always looks outstanding he's a ufa at the end of this year which kind of scares me but um nick paul unbelievable i love that uh that play and that brings us to our player of the week segment brennan player of the week for you who did it for you this past week so my player of the week has to be none other than Artem Zub. I, I mean, I don't know if it's just because I finally got the ability to shout his name in a public place, Adam. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but his ability to come out of nowhere to show up into these uh, these dangerous zones and and be able to to cover the Z D coverage, but also what he's showing off in the offensive zone and the fact that he's taking chances and, and rushing the puck up more, like he just continues to impress me. And I, I really have a hard time finding any flaws in his game. I mean, like he, he defends so well, he's so good in covering gaps, which is something that you and I have spoken in a lot of detail about, but he's also a great puck mover. He's so good in transition. He's, he stays so calm. He's so good at getting pucks out. And um, he's honestly made Thomas Shabbat a better player. So for me, it, it's got to be Zub. And I, I think that it's not long until the rest of the NHL kind of takes notice and, and realizes just what we have in Ottawa in Artem Zub. What about you, Derek? Well, from Zub, I'm going to throw it to his D partner in Thomas Shabbat. And let me give you a little brief example, just some stats for you right now of just how dominant Thomas Shabbat has been. Because to me, this is the most outstanding I've ever seen Thomas Shabbat in the NHL. 27 minutes and 25 seconds time on ice. That's second in the league just behind Darnell Nurse. He's fourth among defensemen who have played at least six games um, in shots on goal with 20. His Corsi relative numbers. So uh, this uh, means basically when Thomas Shabbat is on the ice, the Ottawa Senators are producing plus 13.4, which is the best in the league among defensemen who have played at least four or more games. I mean, just some unbelievable underlying numbers for Thomas Shabbat to go with, I mean, the production that he obviously always has. Uh, to me, he just looked the best. Like I said, the best I've ever seen this guy play, and he's an elite player in the NHL. So to me, he's bar none the Ottawa Senators' best player right now, and, and I don't think it's particularly close. Um, for me, that's why he's the player of the week. No, definitely deserving, and I, I think that if Ottawa can somehow find themselves in a wild card spot, he's going to have to get some serious votes and some serious looks for the Norris Trophy because he's off to an incredible start, and I don't see him slowing down if he continues to play with Zoo. No, right. same here, same here. So moving on to our over-under. So I think I need to lift the belt up right now. I'm three for four on these as of last week. You're you're two for four um, as you slipped up on uh, – wait, wait, what was it that you slipped up on again, Derek? What was it? Tell tell the listeners. Is it that you doubted Eric Carlson, uh, the, our, <laughs> our, our previous Lord and Savior? Hey, he was a dash one. So, I mean, it, you know, it's not like – he he was he also on the got ice a power for the play only point, goal against. So, 
Yeah, but that doesn't count for plus minus. So, uh, you know, it doesn't really count. Um, <laughs> yeah, I slipped up on the air. You're Carlson so wrong. Thing. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, Brandon, you, you have the slight lead. You got three for four, but you know what? We're going to count these up at the end of the season and we'll, we'll see who actually takes the title home. I have a feeling it'll be me, but, but anyway, um, let's start off with the first over under Eric Brandstrom. We've talked a lot about Eric Brandstrom. I feel like we're always talking about Eric Brandstrom, um, over under, will he be recalled from Belleville within seven games over under seven games? So seven games from now or seven games in the entire season? Because what, they're like three or four games in right now? Like within the next three games or the next seven games? The next seven games. I think that Eric Brandstrom will get recalled within the next seven games. I think that him switching up his agent, he he's he is due to get recalled. Or, I mean, maybe it's none of the above and he ends up just getting traded and, and gets recalled into another team's pipeline. But um, but no, I, I think that he will be recalled within seven games. And I, I think um, hopefully when he comes in, I, I really hope that he makes a, a big impact. But I'm going to take the under. And what about yourself, Derek? Taking the under. I agree with you there. I think I don't think it'll take seven games for Branstrom to be back in the lineup. Um, like we mentioned before, all it's going to take is one injury. And the Senators have been like insanely lucky when it comes to the decor, at least. Um, everyone up front is getting injured, but no one on the back end has been injured so far. And I think all it's going to take is one injury and Brandstrom's back in the NHL. So I have a hard time believing they'll get through the next seven games with at least one, without at least one injury on the decor. Obviously, I'm not wish, wishing injury upon anyone. So hopefully they stay healthy, but um, taking the under. Awesome. So the next question we have here. So over under Nick Paul will produce three and a half shots on goal and specifically a half um, Friday versus the stars. So just for some context, he's averaging three, three and a 3.6 shots a game. So, so Derek, is he going to have more than three shots? Because I don't know that they they really award uh, half shots. What, What do you think over under three? Yeah, no, I, I picked the 3.5 because you can, so that if we picked three, for example, um, you know, it, it wouldn't work out. Right. So we wouldn't be over or under the three. So three and a half. So either you're suggesting he takes four or more shots or three or less shots. I'm going to take the under, I think he's taking right now. He he's on a crazy average 3.6, which is the best on the team. I don't think he's going to continue to produce that many shots. Um, so I'm going to take the under on this one. I'm going to take uh, three and under. So I'll take I, the under. I hate agreeing with you, but I, I was already, I was, I'm on the under there as well. I think that Dallas has a uh, pretty legitimate D and I, I think that Nick Paul's probably put the league a bit on notice. So I don't know. Um, it may, maybe there'll be a little more on them. And I think that the other thing is that there's been a few guys that have been a little sluggish to start the year. And I think Nick Paul has definitely not been one of them. So I, I think that as those guys kind of start to get going a little more, maybe Brady Kachuk and Tim Stutzel are, are shooting more and, and uh and and hitting the net with some really quality chances i i think that that number is going to go down so i mean i think he takes three shots but i'm, I'm going to take under the 3.5 after that uh great clarification so thanks for thinking that out <laughs> hey and i i think i know your strategy now for winning this thing at the end of the year you're just going to agree with everything that i say from here on out we'll have the exact same answers and at the end of the year you'll have one more point than me Precisely. That's exactly how I've gotten <laughs> through everything in my life is just the backs of other people. <laughs> All right. Um, 
speaking of shots on goal, Ottawa will give up over or under 32 and a half shots against per game versus the stars on Friday. So currently they sit in 13th in shots against per game at 32. So 32 and a half, will they give up more or less than 32 and a half versus the stars on Friday? I'm going to say over, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of surprised that I'm even saying over right now, but the stars offense has been struggling. And I think that they're going to need to start to figure it out. And honestly, Ottawa gives up a lot of shots a game. It's, it's no surprise. Um, and I, I mean, unfortunately, yeah, like 32 is, is kind of the situation. So I, I, would not be surprised if they give up 33. I think if this game goes to overtime, they definitely do. And I expect it to be a close game. So, so yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take the over on this one, but I don't know. I'm, I'm already questioning myself as, as Dallas been a bit slow to start the year. What about you, Derek? Yeah, I'm actually, I'm going to take the under, I think um, Matt Murray's coming back, hopefully coming back from injury um, from what we've heard. So hopefully he'll be in the lineup, but I do think the Sens will want to clean up their game from the Washington capital game. Uh, in which they allowed a lot of shots and a lot of goals against. So uh, in my mind, they're going to clean things up. It's their first game on the road trip. So I think they're going to be kind of crispy and they're going to play a really sound defensive system and, and more of a shutdown system. Um, so I feel like they're going to restrict the stars in the neutral zone, much like they did in that first game. And I think they're going to take shots away. So I'm going to take the under here. All right. I can't change my answer, right? Too late. <laughs> um, so moving on to the next one. So Thomas Shabbat over under 27 minutes on ice versus the stars. So currently averaging 27 minutes and 25 seconds a game. He He's an absolute horse, Derek. We saw him play the other night for a full third period. It seems like that four minute shift was something. And I think he followed a, a three minute shift. That was a little bit before that. So what are your thoughts? It's gotta be the over, right? Well, and, and this is the point that we touched on earlier with, you know, not really having much outside of Shabbat and Zub and maybe why you'd need to split them up in the first place because Shabbat is playing like an absolute unsustainable pace right now. Um, but, you know, maybe he can sustain it. In my mind, it's going to be under. I think it's situational. I mean, if they're trailing in a game in the third period, then Shabbat's on the ice because he's your best option. But also if they're trying to protect, protect a lead, Shabbat's also your best option. So it's kind of tough. I, I'm almost talking myself into the over, but I, I just think he's on an incredibly high pace. I know they gave him uh, a bit of a rest day today in practice. Um, so I'm leaning toward the under on this game. Oh, I'm taking the over. And this is where I'm just going to cement my lead again. He's on a rest day today because they're just giving him some more time to rest those calves so he can just get back out there again. You said it best. There isn't a lot of other options right now. It's it's thin aside from him and what is God and Zub. And I, I think that, unfortunately, um, that, that really is our best chance at winning a game is, is having him playing over 27 minutes a night right now. And when he's playing the way he is, it's kind of hard for him not to. And it seems like he's been doing this since junior by the sounds of it. So just one of those things that's just kind of another day in the life of Thomas Shabbat. And uh, I think that this is going to be a game that's going to be close. Either we're going to be in the lead or we're going to be trailing. And either way, he's going to need to be on the ice for it. So definitely taking the over on that one. Awesome. And the last one for the fancy stat lovers out there, uh, Tim Stutzla over under, and this is Corsi relative percentage again. So, uh, we're talking about the, the shot generation from the team while a certain player is on the ice. That's what that stat uh, kind of indicates. So uh, currently, Tim Stutzla, much better than last season. He's at uh, plus 
4.8. Um, so the Senators are, are shooting 4.8 more shots for when Tim Stutzla is on the ice. So um, I picked a number four and a half um, over under. I'm taking the over on this, Brennan. What are you taking? I'm taking the over as well. I, I, I think that Tim's just been making magic happen. And he actually, they haven't been, he hasn't been gaining a lot of points, even though he seems to be all over the ice creating an incredible amount of play. So it's crazy to think like this, but I actually think that that number could be higher because they're generating quality chances, but, but they, they haven't converted on a lot of the ones that they probably could have. And, you know, he's playing in some really defensive sound teammates right now. So I, I think that like being on a line with Nick Paul also definitely helps that stat. So, so I'm taking the over. I feel like that one might be a bit of a layup. Yeah, that's exactly my reasoning as well. He's playing with Paul and Brown, two sound defensive players. He's also grown his defensive game exceptionally in my eyes he doesn't look like a liability anymore out there defensively whatsoever in fact I noticed a few takeaways when we were at the game um versus the Rangers so yeah Tim Stutzla I think he'll generate even more opportunities as the time goes and he's just going to be a force to be reckoned with uh, I'm taking the over for sure awesome well thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to the over under segment thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to podcast episode 21 uh we we really appreciate your support now and and always and you know we're also extremely excited for what's to come i i know that there was a, a pretty cool video that tyler put together that came out today we we're starting a little movie line and um we're, we're gonna be lucky enough to be interviewed by the brady kachak he's coming on and and derek and i are, are gonna interview as a team so um something that we're super excited for for all of our listeners and um anything you have to say derek Oh man, that was so well put together by Tyler. I was just, you know, super excited to see the video and, and just to see it finally come to fruition. It's something we were working on for uh, quite some time and something that it, it's literally like a dream come true, right? We get to talk to who we believe is the next captain of the team. We couldn't be more excited for an interview if we tried. So uh, make sure you tune in for the Brady Kachuk interview. It, it, we guarantee it won't be one that you want to miss.